Chapters 13 and 14 of Tom Swift and His War Tank. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Tom Swift and His War Tank by Victor Appleton. Chapter 13 Into a Trench. Tom cast a hasty glance over the mechanism of the machine before he started to cross the stream by the additional aid of the grippers, or spanners, as he sometimes called this latest device. Along each side, in a row of sockets, were two long girders of steel, latticed like the main supports of a bridge. They were of peculiar triangular construction, designed to support heavy weights, and each end was broadly flanged to prevent it sinking too deeply into the earth on each side of a gully or a stream. The grippers also had a sort of claw-like arrangement on either end, working on the principle of an orange-peel shovel, and these claws were designed to grip the earth to prevent slipping. The spanners would be pulled out from their sockets on the side of the tank by means of steel cables, which were operated from within. They would be run out across the gap and fastened in place. The tank was designed to travel along them to the other side of the gap, and once there to pick up the girders, slip them back into place on the sides, and the engine of war would travel on. "'You are mightily excited, Tom.' "'I admit it, Ned. You see, I have not tried the grippers out except on a small model. They work there, but whether they will work in practice remains to be seen. Of course, at this stage, I am willing to stake my all on the results, but there is always a half-question until the final tryout under practical conditions.' "'Well, we'll soon see,' said one of the workmen. "'Are you ready, Mr. Swift?' "'All ready,' answered Tom. Tank A, as she was officially known, had come to a stop, as has been said, on the very edge of Tinkle Creek. The banks were fairly solid here, and descended precipitously to the water ten feet below. The shores were about twenty feet apart. "'Suppose the spanners break when you're halfway over, Tom?' asked his chum. I don't like to suppose anything of the sort, but if they do, we're going down. Can you get up again? That remains to be seen, was the non-committal reply. Well, here goes, anyhow. Going up into the observation tower, which was only slightly raised above the roof of the highest part of the tank, Tom gave the signal for the motors to start. There was a trembling throughout the whole of the vast structure. Tom threw back a lever, and Ned, peering from a side observation slot, beheld a strange sight. Like the main arm of some great steam shovel, two long, lattice girders of steel shot out from the sides of the tank. They gave a half-turn as they were pulled forward by the steel ropes, so that they lay with their broader surfaces uppermost. Straight across the stream they were pulled, their claw-like ends coming to a rest on the opposite bank. Then they were tightened into place by a backward pull on the operating cables, and Tom, with a sigh of relief, announced, "'Well, so far so good.' "'Do we go over now?' inquired Ned. "'Over the top, yes, I hope,' answered Tom, with a laugh. "'How about you down there?' He called to the engine room through a telephone, which could only be used when the machinery was not in action there being too much noise to permit the use of any but visual signals after that. "'All right,' came back the answer. "'We're ready when you are.' "'Then here we go,' 
said Tom. Hold fast, Ned. Of course, there's no real telling what will happen, though I believe we'll come out of it alive. Cheerful prospect, murmured Ned. The grippers were now in place. It only remained for the tank to propel herself over them, pick them up on the other side of Tinkle Creek, and proceed on her course. Tom Swift hesitated a moment, one hand on the starting lever and the other on the steering wheel. Then, with a glance at Ned, half whimsical and half resolute, Tom started Tank A on what might prove to be her last journey. Slowly the ponderous caterpillar belts moved around on the sprocket wheels. They ground with a clash of steel on the surface of the spanners. So long was the tank that the forward end, or the nose, was halfway across the stream before the bottom part of the endless belts gripped the lattice bridge. "'If we fall, we'll span the creek, not fall into it,' murmured Ned as he looked from the observation slot. "'That's what I counted on,' Tom said. We'll get out, even if we do fall. But Tank A was not destined to fall. In another moment her entire weight rested on the novel and transportable bridge Tom Swift had evolved. Then, as the gripping ends of the girders sank further into the soil, the tank went on her way. Slowly, at half speed, she crawled over the steel beams, making progress across the creek, and as safely above the water as though on a regularly constructed bridge. On and on she went. Now her entire weight was over the middle of the temporary structures. If they were going to give way at all, it would be at this point. But they did not give. The latticed and triangular steel, than which there is no stronger form of construction, held up the immense weight of Tank A, and on this novel bridge she propelled herself across Tinkle Creek. "'Well, the worst is over,' remarked Ned, as he saw the nose of the tank project beyond the furthermost bank. "'Yes, even if they collapse now, nothing much can happen,' Tom answered. "'It won't be any worse than wallowing down into a trench and out again, but I think the spanners will hold.' And hold they did. They held, giving way not a fraction of an inch, until the tank was safely across, and then, after a little delay, due to a jamming of one of the recovery cables, the spanners were picked up, slid into the receiving sockets, and the great war engine was ready to proceed again. "'Hurrah!' cried Ned. "'She did it, Tom, old man!' And he clapped his chum resoundingly on the back. "'She certainly did,' was the answer. "'But you needn't knock me apart telling me that. Go easy!' "'Bless my apple pie!' cried Mr. Damon, who was as much pleased as either of the boys. "'This is what I call great!' "'Yes, she did all that I could have hoped for.' said Tom. Now for the next test. Bless my collar button. Is there another? Just down into a trench and out again, Tom said. This is comparatively simple. It's only what she'll have to do every day in Flanders. The tank waddled on. A duck's sidewise walk is about the only kind of motion that can be compared to it. The going was easier now, for it was across a big field, and Tom told his friends that at the other end was a deep steep and rocky ravine in which he had decided to give the tank another test. "'We'll imagine that ravine is a trench,' he said, "'and that we've got to get on the other side of it. Of course, we won't be under fire, as the tanks will be at the front, but aside from that the test will be just as severe.' A little later Tank A brought her occupants to the edge of the trench. 
"'Now, little girl,' cried Tom exultingly, patting the rough steel side of his tank, "'show them what you can do.' "'Bless my plum pudding!' cried Mr. Damon. "'Are you really going down there, Tom Swift?' "'I am,' answered the young inventor. "'It won't be dangerous. We'll crawl down and crawl out. Hold fast!' He steered the machine straight for the edge of the ravine, and as the nose slipped over and the broad steel belts bit into the earth, the tank tilted downward at a sickening angle. She appeared to be making the descent safely when there was a sudden change. The earth seemed to slip out from under the broad caterpillar belts, and then the tank moved more rapidly. "'Tom, we're turning over!' shouted Ned. "'We're capsizing!' End of chapter Chapter 14 the ruined factory. Only too true were the words Ned Newton shouted to his chum. Tank A was really capsizing. She had advanced to the edge of the gully and started down it, moving slowly on the caterpillar bands of steel. Then had come a sudden lurch, caused, as they learned afterward, by the slipping off of a great quantity of shale from an underlying shelf of rock. This made unstable footing for the tank. One side sank lower than the other, and before Tom could neutralize this by speeding up one motor and slowing down the other, the tank slowly turned over on its side. "'But she isn't going to stop here!' cried Ned, as he found himself thrown about like a pill in a box. "'We're going all the way over!' "'Let her go over!' cried Tom, not that he could stop the tank now. "'It won't hurt her. She's built for just this sort of thing.' and over Tank A did go. Over and over she rolled, sideways, tumbling and sliding down the shale sides of the great gully. "'Hold fast! Grab the rings!' cried Tom to his two companions in the tower with him. "'That's what they're for!' Ned and Mr. Damon understood. In fact, the latter had already done as Tom suggested. The young inventor had read that the British tanks frequently turned turtle, and he had this in mind when he made provision in his own for the safety of passengers and crew. As soon as he felt the tank careening, Tom had pressed the signal ordering the motors stopped, and now only the force of gravity was operating. But that was sufficient to carry the big machine to the bottom of the gulch, whither she slid with a great cloud of sand, shale, and dust. "'Bless my... bless my...' Mr. Damon was murmuring but he was so flopped about, tossed from one side to the other, and it took so much of his attention and strength to hold on to the safety ring that he could not properly give vent to one of his favorite expressions. But there comes an end to all things, even to the descent of a tank, and Tom's big machine soon stopped rolling, sliding, and turning improvised somersaults, and rested in a pile of soft shale at the bottom of the gully, and the tank was resting on her back. "'We've turned turtle!' cried Ned, as he noted that he was standing on what before had been the ceiling of the observation tower. But as everything was of steel, and as there was no movable furniture, no great harm was done. In fact, one could as well walk on the ceiling of the tank as on the floor. "'But how are you going to get her right side up?' asked Mr. Damon. "'Oh, turning upside down is only one of the stunts of the game. I can write her,' was the answer." "'How?' asked Ned. "'Well, she'll right herself if there's ground enough for the steel belts to get a grip on.' "'But can the motors work upside down?' "'They surely can,' responded Tom. 
I made them that way on purpose. The gasoline feeds by air pressure, and that works standing on its head, as well as any other way. It's going to be a bit awkward for the men to operate the controls, but we won't be this way long. Before I start to write her, though, I want to make sure nothing is broken. Tom signaled to the engine room, and as the power was off and the speaking tube could be used, he called through it. "'How are you down there?' right o came back the answer from a little Englishman Tom had hired because he knew something about the British tanks. "'Twas a bit of nastiness for a while, but it won't take us long to get up again.' "'That's good,' commented Tom. "'I'll come down and have a look at you.' It was no easy matter, with a tank capsized, to get to the main engine room, but Tom Swift managed it. To his delight, aside from a small break in one of the minor machines, which would not interfere with the operation or motive force of the monster war engine, everything was in good shape. There was no leak from the gasoline tanks, which was one of the contingencies Tom feared, and as he had said, the motors would work upside down as well as right side up a fact he had proven more than once in his hawk. "'Well, we'll make a start,' he told his chief engineer. "'Stand by when I give the signal, and we'll try to crawl out of this right side up.' "'How are you going to do it?' asked Ned, as his chum crawled back into the observation tower. "'Well, I'm going to run her part way up the very steepest part of the ravine I can find. The side of a house would do as well if it could stand the strain.' I'm going to stand the tank right up on her nose, so to speak, and tip her over so she'll come right again. Slowly the tank started off, while Tom and his friends in the observation tower anxiously awaited the result of the novel progress. Ned and Mr. Damon clung to the safety rings. Tom put his arm through one and hung on grimly, while he used both hands on the steering apparatus and the controls. Of course, the trailer wheels were useless in a case of this kind, and the tank had to be guided by the two belts run at varying speed. "'Here we go!' cried Tom, and the tank started. It was a queer sensation to be moving upside down, but it did not last very long. Tom steered the tank straight at the opposite wall of the ravine, where it rose steeply. One of the broad belts ran up on that side. The other was revolved in the opposite direction. Up and up at a sickening angle went Tank A. Slowly the tank careened, turning completely over on her longer axis, until, as Tom shut off the power, he and his friends once more found themselves standing where they belonged, on the floor of the observation tower. "'Right side up with care,' quoted Ned with a laugh. <laughs> "'Well, that was some stunt, believe me!' "'Bless my corn-plaster, I should say so,' cried Mr. Damon. "'Well, I'm glad it happened,' commented Tom. "'It showed what she can do when she's put to it. "'Now we'll get out of this ditch.' Slowly the tank lumbered along, proper side up now, the man in the motor-room reporting that everything was all right, and that, with the exception of a slight, unimportant break, no damage had been done.' Straight for the opposite steep side of the gully Tom directed his strange craft, and at a point where the wall of the gulch gave a good footing for the steel belts, Tank A pulled herself out and up to level ground. "'Well, I'm glad that's over,' remarked Ned with a sigh of relief, as the tank waddled along a straight stretch. "'And to think of having to do that same thing under heavy fire!' 
That's part of the game, remarked Tom. And don't forget that we can fire, too, or we'll be able to when I get the guns in place. They'll help to balance the machine better, too, and render her less likely to overturn. Tom considered the test a satisfactory one, and, a little later, guided his tank back to the shop, where men were set to work repairing the little damage done and making some adjustments. "'What's next on the program?' asked Ned of his chum one day about a week later. "'Any more tests in view?' "'Yes,' answered Tom. "'I've got the machine guns in place now. We're going to try them out and also endeavor to demolish a building and some barbed wire.' like to come along? I would, cried Ned. A little while later the tank was making her way over a field. Tom pointed toward a deserted factory, which had long been partly in ruins, but some of the walls of which still stood. I'm going to bombard that, he announced, and then try to batter it down and roll over it like a juggernaut. Are you game? Do your worst, laughed Ned. Let me man one of the machine guns. All right, agreed Tom. Concentrate your fire. Make believe you're going against the Germans. Slowly, but with resistless energy, the tank approached the ruined factory. Are you sure there's no one in it, Tom? Sure. Blaze away. End of chapter.